terribly funny. Here it comes. I'm your host, Steve Bazalone. Uh, this is a podcast. You love podcasts. Who doesn't? But this is one where I talk to funny people about, you know, some bad shit that, have ha- that has happened to them. Uh, today we have a great guest. He's one of my oldest and uh, dearest friends, uh, Todd Strauss-Scholson. He's, uh, he's a great dude, a funny man, an insightful uh, gentleman, and also a hell of a director. Uh, he's done a bunch of shorts, which you should check them all out. They're all, like, varied and interesting. He's also um, has also done a couple movies. He did the last Harold and Kumar uh, movie, the one where it was 3D Christmas extravaganza. And really, who doesn't want to see, like, a, a 3D dick Christmas joke? I mean, that's my sweet spot, so go check it out. Uh, and his last movie, the last feature he did, was uh, called Final Girls, and it's really... Uh, it's really some, something special, I'd say, because it's, uh, it's kind of like a Pleasantville or a Purple Rose of Cairo, but uh, set in the world of a horror movie. It's got uh, a lot of laughs, also a lot of heart. So, you know, give it a look-see. Uh, today we're going to talk about some fun stuff. And by fun stuff, I mean mourning the death of a parent. <laughs> so I hope you guys are ready to feel some feelings. Oh, also, side note, there was a, a couple little technological problems in this uh, episode. Uh, but it's still a delightful listen. So uh, let's do that, shall we? Let's listen. But first, the theme music. So yeah, this is, this is it. I feel like I'm doing a lot of the heavy lifting already. You're not doing anything. I'm just, I'm just settling in. I also realize my fly is down, so I'm going to take care of that nonsense. <clears throat> no, but you asked like what the purpose of this was, and not purpose, but I was curious about when you, be- right before the well, the moment when you decided you wanted to do a podcast, mm-hmm. that this would be the idea. I imagine there must have been a moment of your life when you were thinking of what your podcast could be. What was the idea? What got you? Um, what was appealing to you about this premise? Oh well, I was never like, oh, what's my podcast going to be? That was never like a lifelong goal. But you had to like, was... you had to name it. I mean, you had to have a some yeah, sort of. Well, no, I, when I was just thinking about. Oh boy. Uh, when I was thinking about what, like right after I was say, saying this a little bit earlier, but right after my mom died, during that period, I was thinking about like all these moments that were kind of funny in there. Like right after, uh, well, I was just struck by it. Like it's just like cause it's so heavy and exhausting, but then there's these like moments of light and they're like, you just like cling on to them. Like right after my, right, right after my mom died, like in there hugging her like just now cold body um did you actually see your mother die no i was out of the room and it was a real bummer to me was it a choice to be out of the room or you no. regret it i was like one of it was the i think it was probably the only time that both me and russ were both out of the room because i was by her bed for a week straight for almost the entire time i didn't leave like i got there on a sunday or a sunday night so i guess it was five days and she died thursday night and I did not leave the hospital. I slept there. I was there the entire time. Um, Do you think, in some strange way, both of you being out of the room almost allowed her to let herself die? I think. I mean, I think that's that's what. I, whenever I talk about this, that's what people always say. Because um, I, you know, there's so many nurses at the time said this, and a lot of people who have gone through a similar experience. Or I think it's just like a little bit like way wrapping your mind around it. Like some nurses will say like people will go one of two ways. They'll either like hold on until everybody gets there and then they'll go or they'll wait until people have gone away and then they'll go. Um, so I think maybe that's a possibility. I don't I th- know. I think about it for me a lot. I think I read, bo- I'm, I'm, I read books. About, I read Christopher Hitchens' book and I, 
There's something really interesting to me about like hospice and palliative care. Mm -hmm. When you have death in your life and sickness in your life when you're like a young person and it's just a reality of living, it's not something that you're, you know, trying to run away from. It's just a reality that things are changing and mm -hmm. people are dying and there's something sobering about it. And I, I missed my father. My father died and I missed my father's death. Well, you were there the whole time, so you were just out of the room? No. Mm-mm. No, it was uh, it was a whole long it was a whole long it was a whole long. Well, he story. was in and out of the hospital. Yeah, he was a lot. Wow, we really got right into it. Yeah, man. We? Are you recording? Yeah, I just get nervous, <laughs> so I always check. You know, just making sure it's just clicking. Mm. So, well, I'm gonna try to be conscious. I've done podcasts before. And I listen. I listen to them back, and when I finish recording it, I I'm done, and I'm like. What a ch what a charming, relaxed conversation that was, and then I listened to it and I'm like, crazy activated and I'm saying fuck all the time. I right. I'm like what? How did my experience of having that and the reality of what it was, is so different? Well, I think this is a different. This is probably I imagine most of the times you've been on podcasts, you've been talking about like movies or something that you're very passionate and you get very worked up about whereas opposed to this this is probably not the subject matter you've usually tackled yeah i just i'm trying to try to really be mindful to not be screaming fuck and thinking i'm, I'm doing a great to say job fuck as much as possible <laughs> who is on that podcast <laughs> that fuck monster jeez um yeah so um uh i was not in the room my dad was sick for a long time my dad uh, had hepatitis C, which is a uh, attacks your liver. And when I was 13 years old, he had his first liver transplant. And uh, and we, I was really young. My sister was even younger, six years younger. And it was kind of uh, sort of kept from us a little bit. We didn't really know. We knew dad was out of the house for three months. We didn't know how bad it was. One night he went to the bathroom and he just shit blood for like 30 minutes. And everyone freaked out. In the middle of the night, I was asleep. And I just remember a real big ruckus. Our babysitter came over at two in the morning, 13. 12. Old enough to know what's happening. Yeah, but not old enough to know that is a disease. Dad's getting a transplant. You're still being protected. Dad might die. Get, there's, yeah. I don't have, I have no, really no information except dad's sick and he's getting helped. And uh, so it, it's, weird how, it's weird how that impacts you when you know there's something happening, but you actually have no, you don't know the edges of it. You don't know what it is. There's sort of a free-floating mist, like a specter of... Right. Something that might be serious or not, I don't really know, and you don't really deal with it because you don't know what it is, but it's just sort of there. I remember really vividly visiting him in the hospital. He was jaundiced and yellow and like bone thin. and yeah. But he survived and he lived, and then um, and he got healthy again, and he became a diabetic, but he was alive and he was well, and a lot of his rehabilitation, you know, he had to like learn how to walk again because he had right. been in a bed for three months. and 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 he was an amazing guy he was my best friend he was an amazing guy because in the aftermath of his illness he like couldn't have been more of an open book about the experience literally i remember was there a sense of gratitude as well or do you think that's what came with it or just like we are all so vulnerable that why might why try to hide anything it's an interesting part of having lost him which is that when i was 12 and 13 years old that's not even a conversation you could comprehend I don't think right I actually don't think I could have in any real um, in any kind of real way have a conversation like that up until maybe a year or two or three ago honestly I mean you get the notion of yeah gratitude yeah it's like giving back but like if 
actually f feeling that, having an actual experience with that, knowing what that really is, and being and paying attention to it as it happens, like having a experience with that. Somehow, I don't think that I knew what that even conversation was or something. I think actually his death was a transformative thing for my whole family, and eventually, right, and that it made us more more like emotional, sensitive, aware kind of people. Just having to sort of like heal up after a loss like that. Well, but, yeah, but I mean, did you, when you did, did it not affect you in the same manner? I mean, I, I feel like it takes a while to digest anything that is you know so large and painful. But like while it was happening. While uh, while he was sick, because he was in and out of the hospital for a while, right? Well, so so maybe fifteen years pass, right? Okay. So in the aftermath of him being sick, he's been open book in terms of when he was in the hospital, he lost his mind. They had a right. they had a um, belt his uh, arms to the gurney because he went crazy. He was in pain and going crazy and wanted to escape, and he was so out of it. I mean, I couldn't imagine personally having that kind of experience. You imagine sure. that would be transformative for him in some way. But we never really talked about how if that was true or how that happened. Literally mm -hmm. not at all when I was that age. But he did tell me like that story. And he told me that he had been a drug abuser in the 70s before I was born. And that was the cause of this. And, and he was just pretty open about all that stuff. So it made us, it got us really close. But we couldn't have like emotional conversations like that. Right. And then he was good for 15 years. So there was, there was an openness, but it wasn't uh, an emotional openness. It was still a little bit guarded. I don't think there was a, I don't, at least for me, my experience was, I don't think there was a way to, in any, with any kind of sophistic, sophistication talk about, like, emotional experience or feelings, really, when I was in high school. I was, sure. like, a snarkazoid lunatic with a gigantic, with an ego, and yeah. chase, chase, you know, making stuff. I mean, when you're that, I mean, who, you have, who has any real, real awareness when right. you're like that? You're just a fucking, on, you're running on instincts, and. So it's a byproduct of where where you were in your life, and not so much perhaps where he was. And I, I wonder that. I actually yeah. don't know. I wonder it all the time. I mean, I he has di he has diaries of poetry, and he has drawings, and I read them sometimes, and I look for clues. I try to see what the conversation he was having with himself was. Right. In that time, and there's not a lot of clues. What about in some way? Well, he you know perhaps not to you, but was he also like something of a riddle to your mother as well after this or was he was he being closed just because of where you were in your life and you were still young and he was somewhat protecting you or was he just kind of trying to figure out on his own don't know all i know is that afterwards he and i became best friends best bros. it was sort of when my relationship with him really when i have memories of my relationship with him it generally it happens around that age right um so something must have been happening. There was a lot of traveling, and he was active with his business, and mm. he was hilarious, and all this stuff. And but it wasn't until he got sick again that I experienced that kind of real emotional change. And this was a real gratefulness, a right. real more openly emotion. He changed his haircut, he shaved his beard, he got new clothes. Like he was like, "I'm living." I huh. think it was a product of him being older, and I think it was a product of him. It's got to be. I mean, it's being older, and it's. And it's 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 and your body being weaker and and really that the possibility of death is really real. Yeah. And I think if you come out the other and I think there was no certainty that he would survive the second. He had to get a second liver operation when I was right. twenty seven. That's interesting to kind of somewhat sidetrack the fact that he like 
had this like after he got sick again, he had this like pretty woman makeover montage, to a degree. To like, a degree, for a moment. For, for a, a moment. But like I did right before I went in for my operations when my colon removed, I did kind of the same thing. Like I wanted to get like I wanted to make sure I had like really, like cool sweats, because like I know I was gonna only be wearing sweatpants for the next like four months. <laughs> yeah. And I also went into uh, Rudy's Barbershop, and, like, when I was 21 years old, I had a mohawk, and I loved it. But, like, there's no other... That's, like, a thing you don't do in normal life if you're, like, a functioning... Like, if I, you know, a job... I just never had an excuse to go back. And I was like, well, I'm going through some shit. This is the perfect excuse to get a mohawk. Yeah. I went to some asshole at Rudy's, and I was like, I want a mohawk. He's like, <laughs> you don't want that. And I was like, no, I, I do. I'm going through... I'm getting this big operation tomorrow. I want to get a mohawk. And he was just, like, so catty. And he's like, I'll tell you what will like start slow and he just wouldn't let me do it and I ended up with like the worst fucking like I looked like a teenage Mexican Morrissey fan like I had this worst faux hawk and I was I hated it so much a mustache was that worse than almost dying and having that operation uh, no but it was like a real bummer to go in because I wanted to have this like catharsis and then I like because I already looked crazy and I felt terrible so I wanted to like at least like I've got a cool mohawk and then I just looked in the mirror and it was fucking terrible yeah it really insult to injury but this is a lot, a lot like your dad. The point is, like, I feel like in those moments, like, you wanted to do, like, well, everything else is terrible. Let's, like, make myself feel better in some external way. Well, I think that, I think that you sort of maybe feel yourself a little bit more when things like that happen. Like, yeah. even in small ways, like, when I get, like, a really bad cold for a week, and I feel, so, I just, it, it makes me incredibly sensitive and really tender, and I want to take care of myself. Yeah. You want to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And... The experience of taking care of yourself shouldn't feel like revolutionary or like a once a once a year kind of a thing. It should sort of be like the way that you're living. Yeah, it should be maintenance, but not just maintenance. Be kindness to yourself, right. a little compassion for yourself. Things are. I mean, like the way people, at least the way I have talked to myself, is you would never talk that way to someone else. You'd be an asshole if you listened to the way that you talk to yourself throughout the day, and then like said that to someone else, they'd think that you were the biggest fucking dick. Oh, you wouldn't have any friends. So why, do you, why is it okay to do it to yourself? But I think when you can, maybe when you get that sick or when you, it gets real, right. when it like sobers you up, it slaps you around, you want to take care of yourself. Yeah. And it feels nice to. You want to, before you go through this, let's go, let's get it together. Let's, it's me and you. Yeah. From backup before anyone else. I feel like that was something that I learned like in my early 20s when I first started getting sick. Because I used to be like really hard on myself, and I still like am to a certain degree. Because I feel like no one else is no one else is going to give a sh- no one else is going to push me forward. I'm going to have to do that. So you have to be somewhat of your hardest critic. But like I would be so hard that I would like ruin days and ruin like weeks. I would get in the funk, and I like just learned that there's a point of diminishing returns. There's like a line of like you know pushing yourself and also just being an asshole to yourself. Yeah. And I feel like it made me kinder in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was like also stress that was like this additional heaviness on your body and when you've yeah you i mean go through that yeah i mean the amount of the amount of suffering and pain we create on top of the kind that will exist no matter what happens yeah there's like a sort of a baseline of like it's not like the baseline is not things are supposed to be awesome and sometimes it gets bad and that's awful the baseline is that things are like half good and half bad all the time yeah okay so that's reality that's right so don't heap onto that so yeah you heap onto it when you're like oh my god if something bad happens, that it makes me so angry. If there's traffic, fuck you. Like, it's like that's you're making it so much worse. And then when good things happen, and you're like, all I want is more good things. Why am I not getting more good things? What is? What are you doing? What are right. you doing to yourself? 
And so, yeah, that, that, yeah, that makes it, it just makes it worse. Well, I think things like that, I think it's, it's natural to want, you should have a healthy desire to want more good things. That's good. Like if you're without desire, that's a sign of depression. Like you should want things. Mm. But I also think, I don't think that that's true. You don't? Mm, no. Okay. Well, I also think in terms of the example of traffic, I feel like it's a choice to like, you can, you can get angry about something. Yes. You can allow it to affect you. Um, you can I, want it to be different than it is. For sure. That's literally, that's, you just want it to be different than it is, makes whatever it is magnified by a million times in terms of how uncomfortable it becomes in your life. For sure. You can, you can so, make it worse. But I also think, like, I, I remember... But it goes both directions, I guess. Yes, 100%. But I also think, like, every time that, like, I find myself, like, getting frustrated by traffic, it's what I've gained is perspective. How's is that? that I can stand outside of that and like recognize that oh this is small this is not a big deal yes do this just put that in there this shitty candle I'm ashing my joint yep I'm ashing my joint Alexi Wasser who else is listening to this hi Alexi there's a couple people Lauren Russ so far I've got like Larry big Larry out there listeners I think <laughs> really yeah have you guys seen Final Girls no okay yeah watch that shit <laughs> um, but no the thing where uh, then you can like raise above that to recognize that like The fact that I'm like getting, that I'm getting angry at traffic is kind of like a luxury. It's like wonderful that I, I even had the space for that. And why, is that, that why is that a luxury? In terms of what? In terms of comparing yourself to what? Someone on death row or something? Is that what you No, mean? no, no. I just meant like when I was in like, when I was like in the hospital yes. having the thought and I had this conversation with a friend of mine, this kid Jordan, who had like young cancer and like we, even though it was wildly different experience, we kind of spoke the same language because it was young disease. Uh, and talking about like when we were both in the hospital, I'm like, oh, traffic is never gonna bother me ever again. Something right. so minuscule, right. so minuscule, it's never but, gonna bother me. So, but then it does. It does, right? But then it's just like you have now the perspective to recognize it is fucking tiny, but it still bothers me. But why but does like, it? That's the question. Why does it? Why does it bother you? Why do people? Why would you get so worked up about? It, it happens I mean, to me too. No, I'm not some weirdo. I mean, it, I get fucking a little. I get annoyed, and I'm like, oh god. But like, what is that? How is that? What is that? What is? Uh, it's just un- it's discomfort it's like from it's it's not know, wanting to be uncomfortable it's different yeah 100 percent. Well, that's what all di- unhappiness is like a, i don't feel as comfortable as i want to that makes life more uncomfortable for sure in my in my experience but i think that's like the that is the perspective like you can raise above that recognizing okay i'm compounding this yeah. but also the fact that like that i have this feeling like oh that's i that means it's maslow's hierarchy of need like i can worry about this that's cool what's maslow's hierarchy of need you just dro- you drop that pretty hard and i want to know what that okay is. well it's just like when your when your base needs are met this like, is like a footnote to the podcast it's a footnote, yeah um <laughs> i'm gonna do like a, a terrible job of like giving a, a stumble through this but it's basically like you don't have the opportunity to worry about uh like you're not gonna worry about like like career opportunity I wish my career goes this way if you are like in a hospital yeah. or if like if, you're, if your base needs are it's met it's a value shifter it's a, if your base needs need to be met like you need to have like food and shelter and health and once you have those you're able to desire and want more and once you have then you have like you know sexual appetites and uh, um, you know you have food but like want this kind of food and it's just like the more things that are satisfied the more you're able to want so it's but like, that's I don't that's not I don't think that that's very healthy 
Oh, I don't know that it is either, but I think that's but that's just like it's the principle that like you're not going to be worried about it's traffic. A, it's a ferocious right. Okay, it's like a ferocious appetite that's never. It's like a thirst that's never quenched because every time you get something, you're going to want. It allows you to want more you have, things. You have more space. Saying. You just have more space to want, be things. worried about or desire yeah. things. Like you're not going to be, you're not going to give a shit about traffic if you're in hospice. Yes. You know what I mean? So it's like once your base needs are met, then you have you have more space because you're not worried about just running from lions to keep alive. Now you can worry about like, oh, I, you know, I have a home and I have food. Well, I think I like this shirt better than that shirt. It's just like it. little things. You know, yes. you just have more space in your life. Yes. And that's the way I kind of felt like about that. I was like. Oh, look at this. This is great that I'm in such a place now that I can't worry about traffic. Yeah. It's a bullshit concern. It still affects me. Yeah. But it's a bullshit concern. And just the fact that I know that it's a bullshit concern and I've had that experience. What are some other ways in which being sick and sort of surviving a pretty intense, pretty intense moment of your life, a couple of years there, mm-hmm. when you look at that in the sort of span of your whole life, what kind of like dent did that make in your trajectory? You know what I mean? Like, even just like an emotional trajectory. I don't, I don't mean career stuff. I mean, like, as a human being who's um, trying to move around a little bit. Like, well, there's a bunch of. Each one was different. I think initially it just made me, I think, a little uh, kinder. And I think each one, I think, has hopefully made me a little kinder. Um, that's after the fact. I think sometimes in the middle of it, I was just full of a lot of times anger and resentment. But, like, think overall, just like, you know, you're so much closer to a void that uh, it makes you more vulnerable and it makes you appreciate, just appreciate things. Yeah. So I think it like just, it's not always the case because you do get wrapped up in shit. Mm-hmm. But like I think by and large it's made me just a little bit more kinder and also like not give a fuck about the small things. Mm-hmm. Still, they still add up but you can step away from that and be like, oh, it's small. Yeah. 15 years later with your dad. Right. Fifteen years later with my dad. So, my father is essentially healthy and normal. And when I'm 27 years old, I am uh, making uh, hilar- hilarious comedy videos for the internet. Yeah. A lot of my friends from college and afterwards. Sure. And my father uh, gets really sick again. The same thing comes back. His liver's under attack. Uh, they're not totally sure what the deal is. And he's not sick enough for an operation. I'm remembering a little bit of this as I say it. He's not sick enough for an operation, but he's sick. Like for, for a transplant. There's right. a transplant list right. for organs. And, and, some, and some people die because they're far down on the list and the organs aren't coming in fast enough and people die on that list. They, they die waiting. So it's a pretty intense thing to be put on one of those lists. Or to not be. And, um, and he couldn't get on this list. And then, and that, so that, so that's, so now that's part of your life for a couple of months. Just this intense waiting and hoping. Well, it's like someone drops a bomb on your life. They go, it came back, that's sick again. And you're like, oh, okay. You don't even, I don't even, I didn't even know what to do with it. Right. I probably at first was like, well, there's got solve it there's got to be a thing we got to do well, were you waiting for this to come back did you know no. it was an inevitability this was a surprise okay so you thought that maybe like he just might be fine for he might have beat this and he's like he's gonna have issues but yeah 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 never in my mind that i think i knew that he was sick and his body was compromised but there, i wasn't waiting for the moment when it came back right after it came back the next three years were only waiting for it to come back 
right? Um, she was not sick enough and this and that. And my mother, my mother amazingly sort of called up the, the hospital that saved his life the first time. Mm-hmm. Like as a squeaky wheel. Wah, 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 wah. And they admitted him. Mm-hmm. He got the best doctor again. And he was in good hands, thank God. And, um, and he, got on a, he got on a list. And he was getting really, really sick. And the list, it took a while. It took a, it took a few months once he was admitted. And he was getting thin, and his mood, you know, it's yeah. tough. And then they, and then organs, yes. I mean, I'm, I, he never told, he ne- I don't know if he had language for it. I don't know if he could, I don't know if he could have expressed what was he was thinking and what he was feeling. He might have just been in denial the whole time. I really right. have no idea. But he definitely was incredibly ill. Um, well, how was his outlook? Did he, was he like, eh, we're just getting through this? Or was he, was he depressed or was he? He was depressed. Yeah. But he wasn't depressed in a way where he was like, I'm depressed. I feel like shit, get out of here. He just would maybe not say that much. Mm-hmm. And then he would sort of just say stuff and I would try to enter. That was, that my experience was that once he was in there, I was in there every day. Yeah. I was in there every day for a couple of months. And it's not like he was on death's door. He was just like really sick and yeah. depleted. He was in and out of sleeping and could barely walk. And uh, then he would get infections. And then they couldn't do it. Then an organ came in. He had an infection. They had to wait for the infection to get through him. He was all hooked up to everything, breathing machines, emaciated. But I was there every day, like reading movie scripts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and like and and like and like trying to make him laugh straight up, just like trying to make him laugh, just like, like how trying to bring vitality into that room. And P.S. Those those spaces you you know, mm-hmm. I, or I maybe it just or maybe this is my experience in that particular hospital. But I love hospitals, and I love doctors, and I love nurses, and I think it is such a fucking beautiful. I think it's such a beautiful fucking vibe up there. It's they to yeah. me what I felt was, I know doctors have egos, but like life and death is right there. There's no avoiding it. There's no, it's like the a hospital is like the opposite of a mall. Like you are dealing with your life. Mm-hmm. To me, the nurses were funny. They were keeping people alive. They'd come and they'd all have personal relationships with the patients. Yeah. That's an incredibly kind, giving, selfless. I couldn't it's, imagine. It's, a, it's amazing how many people were in there. It's the hardest job. But, but with humor, the yeah. hu- the, all of them, any nurse I've ever been around, and I've been around a lot of nurses, they all have a thing about them that is light and funny. The humor is the way they keep themselves from not killing themselves. I see. I've had some nurses that are not not light and funny. Yeah. Um, not many. I think like by and large, ninety percent are just like fucking saints. Even the ones who are not uh, don't have the same lightness and are clearly have other things going on in their life or just tired because it's yeah. an exhausting job and it's twelve hour shifts and sometimes it's fifteen and you're having to deal with a lot of people who are in a lot of pain and miserable and subsequently taking that out on you. But, like, it's amazing the difference between, like, like a good nurse makes all the difference. When you have, like, I had nurses that were, like, such champions for me and, like, when I was, like, legit, like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to make it or I'm, like, passing out from pain and they would just, just, like, these such maternal, paternal instincts yeah. and it was just amazing how calming it could be. Yes. Well... I mean, that's the thing. The, the job of a nurse in, in society is like one of the healthiest things society did for itself. Like mm-hmm. you need to be around people. You need to be around other people. For sure. Especially when you're sick like that. 
they don't even need to say anything to you. You have to be surrounded by someone. Yeah. It regulates you. It takes, if you, like, it regulates you. If you get all, like, in the past I've had anxiety attacks, and, like, the quickest way to end an anxiety attack is to talk to another human being. A sure. safe, close person mm-hmm. to you. Talk for 45 seconds. You're back to reality. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a totem. It's, it it's yeah, it's just part of the way I think we're built that. But the nurse, but they're hilarious, and and the way that I engaged them, I, I was I was there for so long that it was like they were like, you know what I mean, like yeah, you had like individual relationships with all of them. Were yeah, you like trying to crack wise with them in order to keep your oh like, yeah, busting their chops, cracking wise. They were all it's New York, so they were hey they're Haitian and and Dominican and 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 hilarious and full of life and mm-hmm. just real characters and how much time do you have? What ten more minutes? I told no, you we're, we're great, we're great, right we're great. I'm just checking. They were just delightful. Anyways, it's a long time in there, and he's really sick. And then one morning, then he gets the call. We got a liver. That's fantastic. What's your feeling? Fucking go time. Yeah. Go time. It happens fast. It happens like, they're like, we have a liver. An hour and a half later, you're in surgery. Yeah, it just shows up in a cooler full of ice. It's crazy. Uh, A helicopter helipad on top of of a hospital on 98th and fucking Madison Avenue. A helicopter lands. With a box full of organs from a yeah. young man who died on a motorcycle or whatever happened. And um, and a lot of people get the organs. It's like a big surgery night when that mm-hmm. happens. It's amazing. It, I, it's an amazing thing. They literally, like, it's like an angel. It's like six people get a phone call the night that happens and they say to you, we got the organ, we're going to save your loved one's life. Yeah. It's amazing. I remember on being on the opposite side of that with... Lauren, my ex, uh, when her dad died, and it was a very difficult time for her, and we just kind of like went into shutdown mode, clearly, especially in the first like 24 hours, and we just like kind of avoiding calls except for people that she really wanted to, and then there was one call that kept on coming, and finally, she listened, they left a voicemail, and she listened to it, and it was a, you know, a place, because he was an organ donor, and we were just asking for permission for like a bunch of different things and like especially like eyes mm-hmm. like if we act fast we can give sight to two mm-hmm. people and it's like holy fuck that's Imagine. I mean the silver lining to come out of something that's so fucking just awful it's an it's really incredible I, I can't imagine actually having a transplant myself that I mean that would be so fucking weird so yeah. hard to like imagine like an eye transplant like that would be so such an amount of time to sort of like just process what that feels like. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think, I can't. I don't know. It's got to be an interesting sensation to have another, somebody else, a part of you. Yeah. I haven't, I have not had that, but I've, I've had the experience of having a major organ removed. I mean, and I thought yeah, that was a huge feel... surgery. I mean, what, did that, what was that experience like? Um, like? Like psychically and physically? Well, it was just like very scary. And initially. Um, like in I, the aftermath. No, in, in leading up. What to was it, the aftermath like? The aftermath was just kind of pragmatic. I mean, it was very hard, but it was just like one step, one foot in front of the other, and mm-hmm. it was just like you, you assume. I was just like a lot of still anxiety, like hoping that this works. Right. Yeah. Um, seeing if it takes. Yeah. So, anyways, you're with these nurses. He gets the call. He gets the operation. So it's not certain that he'll survive the operation, and we all know this. He and my mother have had conversations about what to do if he dies. He hasn't said goodbye to us. He isn't like doing that. Uh-huh. But 
And maybe at this moment, he's not even aware that that's a thing. He's so out of it. It's weird seeing your parent that out of it. Sure. And then coming back from it. It's like weird to see your parent out of it at the end, but it's weird to see your parent in and out of it throughout multiple years of your life. Right. I don't know. Anyways, um, he gets a separation all, all night long. It's a long operation. Uh, my sister, Karen, and I, we go get dinner at our favorite Italian restaurant, mm-hmm. Vincent's Italian. Was that super fun, or was it just so Mott and Hester. You know, it, this, this, this sort of suffering and stuff, it makes people really the, the best versions of them, themselves. Yeah. And so, or the worst, I guess, if it's a really crazy person. It's, it's a little bit like, like booze. Yeah. I don't know. There were so, it's like empathy. Like, I think that like, I don't know, if you're a, some fucking cokehead maniac and like your girlfriend's dying, I think that you sort of snap out of it for a second. For sure. But I mean, it's just like a little bit like some people don't know that. Like, I've seen people get, like, really worked up. Like, oh, yeah. Well, that, yeah, not right. know how to handle it and just get it, kind of get yes. uh, snipey because they're just, they don't know how to deal with these feelings. Well, they're set, so yeah, the cell, they the sadness gets sublimated into yes. other less productive emotions. Sure. Yeah. So you went to an Italian meal. My mother goes to an opera. We go to an Italian meal. And my mom we, went to an opera. My mother went to an opera that that's, night. That's got to be beautiful. And what a weird and cathartic experience that must be. We haven't talked about it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> we were actually confused she didn't come to dinner with us. We, saw, we just wanted to go to an opera. What the fuck? Some, yeah, at the time, I wasn't like, what a beautiful choice. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> You're leaving us alone? Yeah. But that, but, what, what a strong, like, it, she must have felt the need to do that. And now I realize, yeah. why did I take that personally? Yeah. No reason to take that personally. So... She's there. We uh, we eat a four course meal, and then when we're finished, we have it again from the beginning. We have it twice. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> well, you've, I've never been one for not eating a ton. I once saw you eat five hot dogs in under, under five minutes. Uh, it's, it's my guilty. Like it's small, my it's my guilty pleasure. Japanese man who needs sixty hot dogs. I don't do it every day anymore, but I do I do do it for. You still for, can though. I've I seen d- you do it. I do it like people do shrooms, where it's like once in a blue moon, I'll just sure, go for sure, it. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> and like only one with like friends I really like. Yeah, and my and going forward is like yeah, my going forward is eating four chicken parmesans and a uh-huh. bowl of big ziti. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like change restaurants. You just do a bang 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 in one. Yeah, I sit in the same restaurant. Anyway. We did that, and then and we're sitting there, and it's it's almost like we're st- it's like we're just stiff. We're just sort of holding on tight, and we're talking about what could happen. It's a really loaded, emotional. It's like it's quiet. You know, what I'm saying? like it just feels quiet. Mm-hmm. It's like Christmas Eve. Like you know, everything just quiets down. It's a stillness. Yeah, it's still, and it's still, and again, it's we're joking around. We're, that's keeping us. You know what I mean? It's just keeping us alive. Remember, like, specifics? Like, you're just, like, just fucking around in general. We're probably fucking around with the waiter, and when we ordered the second dinner, that was a whole scene. Sure. <laughs> you know, and everyone's looking at us like we're crazy, probably talking to people across the room, and you know what I mean? It's like, and then we go back to our stillness. And it's kind of a beautiful thing in the middle of New York. And then we walk around, maybe we, we tried to go bowling. Like, it was, say, five in the morning. We were just having a night. And, um, and then we got the call. He, he lived. A big call. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And we're all in the city still. Imagine this night. This it is, sounds amazing. Imagine this night. Did you, when you got that call, did you break down or? or no, no, no. Was it just very like, okay, now we go back to the hospital? 
I didn't used to break down as much. Now I cry easily, and I know that it's a it's a virtue, and it's incredibly healthy, and I, oh, like, yeah, yeah. I, I just, love it. I just got teary just like you telling me that. Yeah, me too. I'm planning on crying at some point if you give me enough time. Amen. <laughs> You're going to fucking miss the money shots, Dave. No, you'll, we'll do that. It'll happen later. <laughs> um, um, anyway, so we, we, everyone rushes back over there. You know, after a surgery like that, you're very swollen, but you're alive. It's just so crazy. And full of, covered in tubes, swollen yellow. And he's alive. He's got a big thing down his throat, so he can't really talk. Mm-hmm. So it's, he's just looking around. It's But you can he's in there. Yeah, he's, he's in totally there. totally cognizant. He's in there. He's in there. And so we're talking to him. We're trying to, you know, we're, and, and we're trying to joke around. We're just all talking to him. And he sort of, it's just, it was amazing. It was crazy. And, um, and they wheel him into the room where he's going to spend the next, the full, the rest of the night and probably the next day, you know, the, the, where, where they have 24-hour supervision and everything's being monitored constantly to make sure nothing fucking goes bad. And, um, and my mother went home because she was exhausted and Karen went home. Got the, she had school or something. Or she just didn't want to be there. And I sat there just all night. I just sat there all night, and my father was on a morphine drip, and my father, like a Spalding Gray monologue, from start to finish, his life. After he had the tube removed? Yeah, yes. A couple hours later, he had the tube removed. He's covered in ice, so the swelling is coming down. Uh, He's learning how he's trying to, like, scribble with a fountain pen um, onto a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Loved fountain pens. He always had a ton of fountain pens, and he loved writing and drawing with them. So he's like, and he can't, he can't barely move his arm, yeah. but he's like, you know, I'm sitting there. I sit there all night and he tells me his whole life, of which I remember almost nothing. I remember almost none of it. That's such a blur. And you're like, also, I don't mind so that I'm exhausted. I don't mind that I don't remember any of yeah. it. It's all so ephemeral that it kind of almost makes it more beautiful in a way. More just like the, the feeling behind it is, that's the important thing. Yeah. I remember like a song. I remember feeling really connected to him. I remember feeling in the moment this is important. I remember feeling really there with him. Although I probably like got bored and lost focus at some point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then came back that. I for, hold on. So you married mom and what happened? <laughs> uh, I had heard a lot of the stories before. He said he he said he loved my mother very much, and he said that I was his best friend. So that's what that conversation. Means that's really, that's just the takeaway. He called me his best friend. That was kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. So, and then he gets healthy. And he's, and this is what you were talking about before, the gratitude. He's grateful. He gets his pretty wound makeover. He does not get a mohawk like some fucking adolescent lunatic. Yeah. He gets new glasses. But it would have been pretty cool if he did. We do an autograph show. People are around him. He feels like he's so alive. He's in a, such a positive mood. He's almost like sort of a changed guy. He's just a gentler guy. You know, mm-hmm. you're, the edges get rubbed off when these... Things, you know, nail you pretty hard emotionally. And so, nicer dude. And he loved Europe. My father traveled through Europe all the time, 20s, 30s. As a family, we'd go to Europe. He had friends in Europe. He bought autographs in Europe. He loved Europe. He wanted to raise us in Europe, but but sort of, like, didn't do that. He dressed me like I was a Dutch boy for the first three years of my life. Mm-hmm. I wore p- purple overalls and purple Oxfords. and had shoes. <laughs> I'm not These pictures are adorable and so weird. Did you have like a little like Dutch boy haircut? Yes. Yeah, I had that too. My mom was real into it. Real, it was not a good look. Everything Oshkosh bagosh and oh, like so adorable socks. Yeah, like, oh, boy, and 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 um, 
And what are we talking about? Um, Oshkosh Bagosh? Yeah, it happens. Oh, and we go. So, and then he wants to go on a trip to, to, to the south of France, where you just were. Mm-hmm. So, and this is his first trip to Europe in a, in a long time. And my, and my mother doesn't come, and my sister doesn't come, but I go with him. Mm-hmm. And so that's a pretty intense trip. Sure. Wasn't like the greatest trip. Parts of it were it's amazing. It's hard to spend that much time one-on-one with your parents sometimes. It's hard to spend that much time alone with your parents. It's hard. Um, and it's also like, you. it's like, that's a pretty fucking intense thing to go through. And like, it's it's hard to get in a car and be like, like let's mm-hmm. check out the hotels. Like, something or just like erupted like in this life. And like, when you're not talking about it, it just there's tensions in other way. So yeah. what... So there were there were amazing things. There were he was laughing. He was he was sitting at dinner tables, like telling long stories. He was the bell of the ball. Yeah, and um, it was awesome. But after the first and the and, and the first day we arrived and woke up, this is what happened. He, my father he loved walking. He would walk the city 10, 12 miles. He would love walking around Manhattan, and I love walking around Manhattan. And that's a, I love walking, and that's why I don't like Los Angeles. And he we went to Europe, and we walked fifteen miles in a day. I have never, I hadn't seen him walk like this in 10 years. I was like, this man believes he's going to live forever. Yeah. This is awesome. Monster walk. It's so, it's just like when I'm 15 years old. And then the next morning he wakes up and his legs are enormous, swollen, swollen, gigantic. He can barely stand. They're not painful, but they're heavy. Right. And it's like a pretty immediate slap in the face that like, this shit's not done. Life is not what it was. This is going to be different now. This is a reprieve. Yeah, this is different. This isn't like the first time. Mm-hmm. And then three years later, he died. So uh, there were a series of heart problems. The heart wasn't pumping fast enough. That's why he wasn't getting, that's why his legs were filling up with fluid. Uh, they gave him a heart surgery once and he couldn't handle it. He was kind of too weak. So they knew they couldn't operate on him again not very good news yeah. but these things this information was spaced out over months you know so it's like these little little broken off into pieces that you can slowly digest it's a it's a dull it's a really dull fearful tension always in the background right that you learn to try to live through in multiple with multiple strategies you ignore it you don't go home you get upset you have anxiety attacks you Act out sexually. Right. You yeah. dive into work. You have it's like living with the boogie night scene with Alfred Molina with the kid throwing the firecrackers. You're yeah. like living. In, these firecrackers are always getting thrown. Yeah, but they're quiet. Like the firecrackers are four miles away. Yeah, the firecrackers are across the country. Actually, the firecrackers are so in New York. So it's easy to ignore it when you're here to some degree. So I didn't go home very often. Right. And I go home a Do lot. Do you feel? Now, after the fact, do you regret that, or is that just like this was just how I this is just how I had to get through it? No, I don't regret that. I wouldn't have been much help. It was really bad. He was right. really sick. We talked every day on the phone multiple times, but he was just really sick, and and I I'm sure that and I'm sure in my own way I w- couldn't. I was too afraid to be around it. I, it was too it was too intense. I didn't know what to do with that, and so I dove headfirst into work. Busy yourself, busy your mind. Yeah, and in and like in my like career out here, like I got like an agent like right before all this happened, and like right it was just it was just like the beginning. Your first movie, the movie happened a couple months after he died. Yeah, 
but it was like it was like that was the same it was happening at the same time so I just stayed here and um and I would go home for holidays and I, and I would go home and I would just see I'd be like oh fuck this is not great tired you know like tired and he slept through Thanksgiving and he would sleep for two days at a time and then he'd have a good day and then he'd have a lethargic day and then he'd be very angry and um he had started to have a hard, really hard time sleeping and was on Ambien's right and tried to start getting that cycle of well the not being able to sleep is because I don't think that he was actually dealing with what was going on right so it was coming out in other ways yeah how much time do we have 14 bro oh yeah. wrap it up am I getting the light I'm not getting the light. What a way to do an emotional podcast by giving someone a... What is this? This is the first time it's... Well, this is just... Is this like the 50-minute hour? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, um, how many times have I said fuck so far? Not that many. That's cool. Well, let's, we'll find out later. Yeah. I'll do uh, a count. So, um, so, yeah. So he gets sick. He's, and he starts falling into comas. Seven comas. He's rolling out of bed in the middle of the night in a coma my mother is dealing with it alone just calling the ambulance is she losing her mind uh no my mother is just um being super super stoic and uh like putting like a thousand miles of steel over her emotions yeah I I, I, I think he has a survival mechanism Mm -hmm. has a completely logical survival mechanism um, so, um, so yeah, so, so, so that's happening. Uh, and then I get this call. The story's about to get crazy, by the way. Oh, great. So then I get this call. Um, then I, but then I get this call that I get the call that I've been dreading. So for these couple of years, it's really, it's, you know, it's really bad and it's going south. And I've been dreading, I've been dreading, dreading, dreading the call. My mother calls me up and says, daddy's dying. You got to come home. Or dad died. That is that that's is, the call you've just been in the back of your mind. Those are those those yeah. those quiet fireworks. Every time I get a call from my mother, I think it's that call yeah. for a year. Yeah, I remember that phone call. But but it's not like I'm constantly terrified of that call. Was it still surprising when it happened? Because it was still surprising when it happened to me. No. Like I knew it was coming, but like I was because it came earlier than I was expecting. Yeah. Well. It went downhill probably faster than we thought, but it was unavoidable to at least at least see that it was going down. Right. Um, and I got the call while I was like had a day where I like ate half an Adderall and like pitched a movie and was like feeling like a hotshot. Yeah. <laughs> Top of the world. <laughs> Holy shit, everybody! Check out my dick. And I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm, yeah, and and uh, and at like six thirty, as things were kind of winding down, but I was like, full of like, just like feeling real hot, feeling really just like, moving real fast, and um, and she called me, and, you know, that hurt, that was tough to hear that. Mm-hmm. It's really real. Daddy is in the hospital. Uh, there's nothing they can do. For him. They're going to make him as comfortable as he can be, and you got to get home as soon as you can. So, that night, I just uh, walked 
I like walked maybe eight miles, all fucked up on Adderall, <laughs> but just like walked, like walked out all this energy, mm-hmm. all this what, sadness, all of it, just all this crazy, walk, walk, exhaust myself, walking, walking, walking. And this is really true and this is really weird, but three times that night, maybe you did this, although I can't, maybe this is you. If anyone did this, let me know because... <laughs> But three or four times that night during that walk, my phone rang from an unknown number and the Bob Dylan song, Don't Think Twice, That's All Right, was playing. Huh. Like as if out of speakers on the other side. And so the first time it happened, I was like, huh? And I hung up. And then maybe an hour, I was like in the grove and I got another call and I picked it up and it was the same thing and I hung it up real fast. I was scared. Then like a while later, like I, it happened again and I didn't pick up. And then I listened to the voicemail and it was that fucking song for like a minute and a half. No voices, no scuffling, but it sounded like it was coming out of a room. What the fuck is this? It sort of spooked me, but I just yeah. assumed it was a prank caller of some sort. The most lovely prank caller. Weird thing that that happened. It's like an Amelie style prank where like it makes your life better instead of fucking with it it was sort of confusing and it was sort of comforting sort of spooky but I was cynic I was cynical and I just I didn't think I didn't I thought it was weird and I kind of didn't think much about it again and then I flew home and my father and we saw him for one last time and he was so out of it he was all fucked on morphine he, he looked at me and called me Nathan you know what I mean like he was he wasn't in there as you said he yeah. wasn't there and that was really hard to see and so we went home and basically waited for him to die. And you were at home when this happened? Yeah, we were, my three of us were at home in the middle of winter. You know, like we went to the hospital twice and he, it was, you know, it was awful. Not that he was in pain, but that he wasn't himself. He didn't know who we were. Yeah. And his body was dying. Was I mean, his dead. body was dying fast. And there was no point in us being there. He couldn't hear us. He couldn't see us. Yeah. It was really, and it was, and his organs were slowly shutting down. That's what was happening. So, and it took a long. It took three or four days. Oof. Yeah, I know. It was from the time my I got the call and doctor being like, "You need to be here." Immediately fly across the country and then fly to JFK. Get on the car go to Grand Central take a train to New Haven and she was like cognizant for a day and then she kind of like was unresponsive for like three days just sitting by the bed with this very just this labored breathing for three days of unresponsiveness it's hard to see it but it's also it doesn't feel real well you don't have any way to process it when have you ever experienced it before it's the most real thing and it's something you're trying to probably avoid about your own experience sure but to sort of see it I don't know man there's something kind of beautiful it's like hard when it's a love I don't know like part of me does regret not having been there but not because I think it would have offered him some peace or even offered me some peace but I was actually a little bit curious to be in the room when death comes I wanted to feel what that is that a release I've, I've, what is that feeling? There's I've something. Been, it's happened to me before. How, when did that happen? With my grandfather. Yeah. Uh, we were all in the hospital. He'd been like in and out for like two weeks. He like went in and like, oh, he's going to go very soon. And then he rebounded. And then 
I'm from Pittsburgh. The Steelers won the Super Bowl, and all my family was in one place, and it was amazing. Like this gift that he was gonna, he was like, look, I was gonna be okay, and we're all together to watch the Steelers win the Pro Super Bowl in 30 years, and then he takes a turn again. So we're all there, and it's like four in the morning, and they were just waiting, and they gather us all in this room. I'm standing right beside him, and I just remember seeing just like the faintest mm. pulse mm-hmm. in his neck, and it's just growing weaker and less and more sporadic there's not the same rhythm and then it just stopped and it was fascinating to see like in that in the seconds after that you could just see from life in his body to just the absence of it like his cheeks were instantly Mm -hmm. hollow and Mm -hmm. sallow and his eyes were more sunk in Mm -hmm. and the whole body relaxes yeah just like nothing was there Mm -hmm. It feels like a, a something is leaving, yeah. but it's just the absence of tension. Yeah. But it was just a really bizarre thing to witness. I think about it a lot. Equal parts like beautiful and devastating. Well, devastating is beautiful. Yeah. Okay, well, let me ask you a question. I have a crazy end of the story. I want to hear it. Yes. Want to hear a crazy end of the story? Do, do you want to? No, I want to hear the end of the story. All right. How much time? Six. It's gonna be tough to work up, man. I know. It's gonna be tough to you're not. You're gonna miss it. I think. I'm learning. I'm learning. These, I'm learning things as I go here. This could. This could. We could do a trilogy. Should we do a franchise of talking about our dead parents? Well, you can always come back later. You can be like a. I mean, I had Lauren on earlier this week, and she's like, "I'm gonna come back to be your fiftieth guest." And I'm like, "All right." Great. You're eating up my time. Shut up. <laughs> Tell your story. Micro machines. This shit. <laughs> I've only said this to two other people, actually. So this might make me seem like a lunatic. So, or maybe it'll be, I don't know. But, okay, don't think twice, it's all right, right? That happens that night. That's spooky. But then I don't think about it again for a long time. But the death of my father and how difficult that was basically transferred. It's just is a pretty, th- it's, a, it's a big thing for me. It impacts my life. Um, I make a movie. I have essentially a meltdown uh, there's eight months of my life that are really fucking dark and I'm, my brain is out of control and I'm racing and spiraling and looping and it's very unnerving to be like in that state for like eight months straight with almost no relief and that and I was like holy shit this is something and I was, and I was editing the movie at this point it's crazy and that and then I started going to therapy and like meditating mm-hmm. and and this, then the, and this, and paying attention to what, and this stuff changed my life, and it, it allowed me to deal with my father's death in a way that was like really productive and like beautiful, and so that's what I'm working on while I'm like working and everything like that. Okay, so he's a big part of my life. I make Final Girls. Final Girls is about my father. Yeah, it's me working through that. That's what four years of my life was sure. spent doing, and and on the day the movie comes out, all my father's best friends text me as if they're him, saying he would have been so proud. That's beautiful. We know what this is about. Yeah. And it made us all cry and think about him. So, so that, imagine that. So that, I'm in the back of a cab and I'm just like, I'm mm-hmm. gushers. But beautiful. It's like he's there with me a yeah. little bit, you know? And, um, and so, okay, so things like that happen. So that's kind of where my life's at. And now I'm like making, I'm doing like whatever I'm doing. I'm trying to like work. Hollywood is dying. All of it. A week ago, 
I have uh, some career complications. Mm-hmm. Sure, as want to happen. <laughs> like a movie falls apart and a TV show doesn't get picked up, but it all happens basically in a week. So all these plans go right out the window. Oh boy, now what? Shit. Sucks for like a week. Yep. I have a birthday coming up, all this stuff. And I go away. I go to an island in Vancouver and hang, and hang out. And hang out with a wonderful friend. And um, driving around and I'm up there and, and it's like all this shit has just happened and I'm feeling really cynical and shitty. And I'm up there and like it sort of just hits me how sad I feel. I feel so fucking sad. It's tough sometimes. And I'm sitting there and that happens. And we go into town to get some dinner and we, we're like mopeding around this island and we sort of like roll into this restaurant and there's a live band in the back. And we walk, the, we t- the step we take into the restaurant, they kick into their set and the first song is Don't Think Twice. Mm-hmm. It's all right. All right. I'm with someone else. I, I clock that and I'm with someone else and... Uh, I like. I kind of want to get emotional about it, and I, I'm like, oh my god, my dad, that's so crazy. That song, we just walked into that. But I'm with someone else, and I can't do it. And I sort of kind of just go to dinner, and I, I sort of bury that, ever that was. Okay, cut to four days ago, three days ago, this weekend, Memorial Day weekend. I go on a silent meditation retreat. These are amazing experiences. These are great. It's the best thing ever. You're right. just quiet for three days, and you, it's just the best. And um, and I'm in this desert, and they're always like kind of just like profound, drugless, religionless, just like it's quiet. Yeah. It's quiet and meditative. And it's a beautiful, sort of human endeavor. And you come out of that thing so tenderized. You are just like so sensitive and tenderized. Right. And it's really beautiful. It feels good. Don't want to get on your phone. Just don't want to touch that phone. Get off that phone. And I start driving around Joshua Tree. And I drive into town and I go get some breakfast and I'm waiting in line and I sit at the bar and then I get in my car and my phone isn't working so I don't know how to get home. So I sort of, I'm like, I'll just drive in one direction and see what happens. And so I drive in this direction 10 minutes and I fuck up. That's the wrong direction. And I come back and I go to the gas station and then I drive back past the center and I see this fair. This fair that I just passed on the way out. I'm going to go to this fucking fair. I don't know what's going on in this fair. And I pull up to the highway and I step out of the car and I walk like four minutes on the side of the highway and then there's a line to get into the fair and I'm like I don't want to take this line so I sort of like hop a fence and I walk into the fair and there's a band of old guys and I walk in and they're in the middle of a, a verse and I'm like this isn't don't think twice that's alright there's no way that would be crazy if I just walked into that song again and they hit the chorus and it's that fucking song mm-hmm. and Maybe that's just me being really sensitive. I don't know. But in that moment, it felt like my dad was right fucking there. It felt like he was right fucking there, and I cried for 10 minutes. I think you are sensitive to those things, for sure. I know I have been, but I also don't think that makes them any less real. Uh, I know, like, one of my mom's friends, like, gave me, like, the best gift. It wasn't, like, a real gift. But she had had a thing with one of her... A, a brother that died or something and uh, a, a a friend of hers her brother's friend or I don't it doesn't matter specifics don't matter but they said like basically like hey you turn off a light for me every so often to let me know you're around and like shortly after they died like they were all in the same house and like all these lights just kept on going off and there was nothing no problem with the circuit breakers and just like all these like kind of you know magical experiences <laughs> whatever how you want to classify that 
So she said the same thing to my mom without telling me about it until after the fact, but she like whispered in her like, hey, send me a feather mm-hmm. so I know that you're, you're around. And after she passed at the, at the funeral, she told me that. And it was just like such a gift because now like anytime I come across like a feather, like, and it's usually like in interesting times, like um, my birthday was a week ago and I came out, I was getting uh, about to shower and I was, I think, taking the dog for a walk and I came back in and I took off my watch and I set it down right on this dresser over here and then took a shower and five minutes later came out and in like the metal bands there was a feather just sticking straight out of it mm-hmm. and that's like a thing that can happen there's feathers everywhere but it was just like such this like lovely moment of being like oh hey mom and thanks for saying happy birthday yes wow wow really that beautiful. just happened yeah just like but like they, it continually happens but it's just like that happened on your birthday yeah I don't know man that shit's real <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's like so much like it's, I like believing that that's real. I do What's too. the problem? I'm not trying to convince anyone else of it. No, it makes me feel good. It's great. It makes me feel really nice. It's beautiful. It's yeah. a reminder. You know what it did for me? That's amazing that that happened to you. Mm-hmm. Do we have a time limit on this? No, we're good. <laughs> we're good. I mean, I don't know if it's gonna sound anymore. <laughs> you know. Um. You know, what it did for me is uh, someone told me once that I was holding on to my father pretty tight, right? This movie, the thing I was talking about, I was really holding on to him very tightly. And um, and the and and the and the insight into him and it was, you sh- when you hold on to it so tightly, it's like this sort of solid thing. It's like a memory. It's like this hard-edged thing, and you're sort of holding something with you, reminding yourself there's like a weight to it. But if you could sort of like learn to kind of release that a little bit, then it's not like this one thing you're carrying around. It's, he's sort of everywhere. It sort of like frees him in your mind and in your world. Somehow that made sense to me. And something about like, I don't know, hearing that song or like you seeing that feather, for me, it was such a like, a, such a like, um, I like felt that. Like I really felt it. Like I felt it really emotionally. And I think that in some way, like, it was like you know, you're fucking here. You're everywhere. You're everywhere now. You're yeah. just part of my life now. It's not this thing I'm carrying around or this thing I feel like I have to, you know, like on your anniversary, like I got to light a candle and remember you. And it's like, you're just he- hanging out with me. You're just here. Yeah. It's nice to feel that. It's like this warm, comforting thing. And so that was a really big deal, I think. That, that feather thing was a really big deal on your birthday. Yeah. It's happened a bunch of times and it's, even like when it's insignificant like where I'll just be at work and like walk into my office and there's like just a feather that just kind of flutters through the air there's no significance it's not like a big moment in my life but it just feels like a hey I'm I'm here I'm hanging out I'm looking at you yeah my thing with that my thing with that song I can't tell if I sound crazy when I say it out loud it's just such a coincidence even as it was happening I was arguing with the cynic in my mind, as I was sobbing in a cemetery, which yeah. is where the fair is being held, I was sitting in a cemetery under a tree, sobbing, feeling my father all around me, uh, forty-eight hours ago. And but at the while that was happening, I was like having an argument with someone who was like, "Well, you know, I mean, you just walked into the song. It's like people play that song. It's Bob Dylan's birthday, and blah." 
And I was like, but what is up with that judgment? Why am yeah. I doing that to myself? Who cares? Yeah, I think let go of that. I mean, like, I'd let yeah, go of the feather thing. That? Like, I mean, I could just be like, yeah, sure. Like it's just it. like me projecting and it makes me feel nice. But, like, I don't care. It's, it's just like, wonderful. it does. It feels great. It's wonderful. It's it is a gift. And, like, I told this, my mom's friend who, like, you know, told me about this thing. Like, when I saw her <coughs> seven months ago, I was like, that is the best gift that you could have given me. You didn't intend to do it, but like now, like anytime I see this one thing, I'm just like, oh, you're here, or at least if you're not here, you're you're with me, and I'm reminded of you, and time is flattened, and you exist with me in some plane. Yeah, I think the thing about you have known you for so many years now since college, we lived together. I think the thing for me about you is after all this happened, now, even in the last year or two, you're like such a you're like a more emotional guy, or like. It comes easier, or mm-hmm. you wear it as a badge of pride instead of something to never express. No, I always used to like never. I never used to cry at all when I was like younger, and now it's just like all the time. And comes I, easy. I love it. it. Comes easy. I love it. It feels great. Great. It feels healthy. Yeah. It's that sadness is like a release. It's the antidote to depression. Letting that stuff go is the antidote to like. Holding it in so yeah. tight. That's that's depression. Is holding on to it. Last year, when I felt like there was a, a, a great a long period where it felt just kind of beige and underwater, and it was just like depression more or less. And I wasn't crying as much, and I missed it because it wasn't. I was like I wasn't feeling anything. Mm-hmm. And like when that kind of came back in my life, I felt like oh, this is good. I'm getting better, or I'm feeling better. More, feeling yeah. more. It's the. It's the best... I've experienced that with myself, with my own father. It's that that's what happens, I think. It just... I mean, I guess a lot of things can happen. You can get into addiction. But if you sort of turn towards how hard and sad that was, if you face... If you look right at it, what does that mean to me? That lost him, you feel... It just makes you such a... It makes you a more emotional human being, and that makes life a little bit easier, I think, mm. sometimes. Uh, I agree. You're easier on yourself and other people, and... I don't know. It's a little bit lighter. So that's what's great about your parent dying. Yep. <laughs> There's something that comes out of it. That's what's the, it's a gift. That's the best thing about it. That is the gift. Loving someone even if you lose them. Yeah, because that doesn't go away. Uh, well, speaking of loving, I love you, pal. I love you, too. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for inviting me on here. It's a pleasure. Great shirt, by the way. Thank you. Do you want to say fuck once really loudly? I think that I've probably said fuck 45 times and neither of us heard it because we were so like in it together. Yeah, but you weren't like, you weren't like worked up and shouting. I probably was like, and then these fucking, these like fucking Dominican nurses are so goddamn fucking hilarious. I don't know. No, that's I said, I say that? But I don't think you said it that much. <laughs> Alright, thanks buddy. See what I mean? There was a couple of technological glitches in there, but it was still a delightful listen, right? See, I got your back. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, thanks so much for listening, gang. Really appreciate it. Uh, this is a, a, a little vulnerable and fun little project I like to do. And the fact that any of you like to listen and uh, means anything to you, well, golly, that just makes my heart sing. Uh, thanks so much to Todd for coming to sit down on my on my couch and get uh, weepy with me. That was a good time. Um, if you want to hear more about Todd or see what he's up to, you can follow him on Twitter at Strauss-Schulson. And if you want to see what we're up to, check us out also on Twitter. We like Twitter followers. Um, we're at terribly underscore funny. At terribly underscore funny. 
Uh, if you want to send us an email and just give us some, you know, some positive feedback or even some negative feedback. You know, feedback is, it's always positive or it's always good. It's like press. There's no bad press, right? I don't know if that's the same. But anyways, our email address. It's uh, terriblyfunnypodcast at gmail. So drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, other than that, thanks so much for listening. I hope you guys have a great day. Uh, don't text and drive. Love you.